the bar for failure was fairly low, you know, beyond <laughs> maybe bruising our egos. And I think that was super special. And I know for me, getting into the industry and trying to be this guy who is getting outside of my room at the Excalibur, so to speak, and venturing into other pockets of the industry was like, why not just try this? What's the worst that can happen? We're far more critical of ourselves than what we bring when we actually bring. And what we are bringing to each other mm -hmm. is the vulnerability of the moment, right? That we can transform things because we're choosing to be vulnerable with each other and reach out to each other and craft and change each other. In that sense, that is what grows out of the mission is that we're changing the organization, we're changing a group of people, and then we're changing the industry. I can't wait to introduce you to a very special podcast series. This is the Promo Kitchen OG series. My name is Jay Bussell, and I have the amazing good fortune to visit with two of my friends, Mark Graham and Bobby Lee Hugh, who happen to both be founding Promo Kitchen chefs. This is the series where we get to go back in time and revisit the stories of these brave and somewhat geeky trailblazers who were keenly searching for a new path forward. If you're curious and want to know who was there, why they started Promo Kitchen, and what it means to them now, this is the podcast for you. And now I'm excited to share the conversation I had with Mark and Bobby. Let's start with that history, those early moments. You know, on our website, we say we have what is Promo Kitchen? a question and we talk about mandates and we talk about who we think we are and the fact that we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization led by quote professionals unquote but you know 2011 January 2011 take us back to that how did this thing get started what would you like to admit that you know and what can you tell us that's appropriate i distinctly remember that there was this group of renegades that were starting to make a bit of a name for themselves on the education front within the industry, whether it was PPAI or ASI. And a bunch of us had come together as either speakers or as just education geeks and nerds within the industry. And while education, I think, had always been a factor within the space, I feel like there was something really exciting happening in education around 2010, 2011 with the advent of social media and with the advent of technology. And the industry was starting to really embrace this new way of doing business. So as a result, there was this group of people that I would describe as being kind of geeky and curious about the way forward in the industry that came together as kind of friends and colleagues. So that led from this kind of education space within the industry to us asking ourselves this question of what do we wish that we knew when we were first starting out in this space? And a lot of us kind of looked at that and said, well, when we first started off, there wasn't really a great atmosphere within the industry around education and mentorship. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, we're already doing this right now in the industry. Why don't we put together some independent renegade group that's available to everyone that really focuses around education and mentorship? And that was drawing 
really heavily upon our own experiences as people that had been in the industry for a few years by that point and wanted to kind of craft this new reality, this new experience around what it would be like to be a newbie in the industry. And that's kind of how PK started. It was very ragtag, very informal, but really rooted in this curiosity around education and mentorship. Bobby, do you remember it differently? No, I don't remember it differently, but I will say when you look back, this is always a challenge when you're interviewing folks and they look back over their experience. And it's hard to recall the early days, but honestly, we were just a bunch of punk teenage kids that had somehow picked up a sledgehammer of an idea and said, um, how do we wield this? How do we do this? And there were a couple of things that were going on in the market at the time. When you look back at 2010, 2011, we were coming out of the recession of 2008, 2009, that time period. You had business slowly getting up on its knees after being just completely obliterated and people had been discouraged. And so that was what was happening in the market. So you had the market sort of recovering at that point. What was kind of going on in our industry was that if you grew up in the industry, when I say that, what I mean by that is not literally being young and then older. What I mean is as you mature as a professional, you typically grow into this industry with a distorted view of success. And the voices that are heard are the biggest distributors or the most successful distributors. And it's success as defined by sheer numbers. Good point. And that was a different kind of success than some of us were interested. We didn't know it though. I mean, Mark and I are looking back now, sort of going, we were kids picking up a sledgehammer. What the hell were we trying to fix? We were trying to break things and then rebuild things at a time, I think, when the market was broken and also rebuilding. We also had tools at our disposal, like Mark said, that you didn't really have before. So you had an interesting confluence of events going on. You had the market, you had the industry, and then you had technology coming together. Now, one of the things that we were all agreed upon was we wanted to bring the conversation that was happening at the bars and in private to the public. What that meant, we were all frustrated. Many of us were frustrated with not learning more about the business. There was a very private hold information in behavior within the industry that was more reflective, I think, business culture in general. So it's not necessarily picking on our industry. And we were beleaguered. We were exhausted by that. And we didn't really know it. And I think at its best, maybe it sounds like we knew what we were doing, but and the reality is I think we were just hungry, curious, and really wanted to help ourselves as much as we wanted to help others. But we knew there was yeah. something there that would come around because of the magic of that. I also thought what was really unique about it was that you had a couple of different people that came together and collectively there was a really interesting spark. You know, I think about like Charlie Johnson, who at the time was with Snugs, was doing a lot of really interesting work on social media where he was building his own brand and he was positioning Snugs as this, you know, next gen supplier that was using technology and social media to kind of engage with people. Mm-hmm. Bobby, you and I had become fast friends at the time when we were talking about social media. I think we'd met in 2009, and we were really interested in creating camaraderie and best practice sharing around the technology space because Robin was a technology forward distributor. Right Sleeve was certainly a technology yeah. forward distributor at the time. And remember, we organizing these little parties mm-hmm. pre PK, <laughs> which were very sad at the time. And then you had people like Danny Rosen and Robert Fiveash that were 
curious and geeky in their own way and were really starting to muscle their way into PPAI. Because remember, they had nothing really to do with PPAI up until around 2009, 2010, and they were interested in getting more involved. So you had that friendship. Mm-hmm. And then you had people like Tanya Allen Gould and Brad White that were doing some interesting things on social media and the education space. And then Charity Gibson, who was doing some cool things in technology as well. And so you had these kind of ragtag band of, of people that were in their own rights, were doing their own things. And when we all came together, it was like this explosion of creativity. And that was really unique, I think, to that time. So I wanted to point that out. I think that we were each looking for a way to build beyond ourselves. Yeah. But we didn't quite know how to do that. But did you guys know that then? You know what I'm saying? Did you know that you were playing this really important role then? Or were you just kind of independently, Mark, you said it so well, the curious nature of trying to like figure out how we're going to move forward. How does this industry move forward? How do we do it better than those old guys? Was it that kind of a feeling? Or were you trying to fix it? Or were you trying to break it? Or maybe all of the above? I don't know. Yeah, I think all of the above. And the one thing that was a very distinct memory for me was the first, I would say the first better part of nine, 10 years of my time in the promotional products industry was spent mostly on an island. Yeah. My own right sleeve Toronto island. And that was fine, but it was increasingly apparent to me that if I was going to continue in this industry and really create a successful company, mm-hmm. that I needed to get off my own island. I needed to get out and meet other people in other markets and other cities in other distributor types, whether they were smaller or larger than myself, mm-hmm. and really get involved in the industry. And I remember going to the expo. I've been going to the expo for 20 straight years, mm-hmm. super sad about what might happen in January. We don't quite know what's happening, but very uncertain sort of as a side point. Anyways, I'd started going to the expo and for the first nine or 10 years, I would literally go to the expo. I would walk the aisles. I would attend education sessions. I would talk to very few people because I didn't know anyone. I would go and eat a burger and a chocolate milkshake at Fat Burger, And then I would go back into my room. I would think I would stay at the Excalibur at the time. And I would go back to the Excalibur and I would work all night on business plans. I was such a nerd, but I didn't know anyone. And that was my expo experience. And you contrast that to what happened with Promo Kitchen sort of 10 years ago was me stepping outside of that reality, of that lonely reality and reaching out to people like Bobby and Brad and Tanya and Charlie and Dana Zezzo and all of these people. And as Bobby said it so well before, it was reaching outside of ourselves. We wanted to have an experience that was beyond just our own little reality. And and that was massive. That was a massive game changer for me. If I didn't have that, I'm not sure I'd be in the industry today, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah. Same. That is really deep. That's great. The only difference with Bobby is that he went into his room all by himself you know, back then, but he still, <laughs> still does that now. He just doesn't, he doesn't like, he doesn't like people, you know, even to this day. So listen, you guys, the image of Mark walking back to the Excalibur lonely, looking down at his shoes. Yeah. That's crushing, right? It's it crushes your soul. It's like, yeah, that's soul crushing. Wait, Mark, tell the story of that first party. <laughs> yeah. I think I've heard about this, Mark. 
it's very important for Mark to tell the story of the first party because you look at what PK events have become, which are sort of an outward symbol of what's going on and you know internally in the organization. That first one shows you it paints a little clearer picture of how awkward those days were. Mark, you want to share that? No, no, Bobby. I've I've been talking too much here. I want you to tell the story of that first party. You're a better storyteller than me. I'm gonna draw the lines. You're gonna have to color in some details. I will tell you what it ended up being. We had our first social gathering. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the first social gathering we were trying to create, or it was like a some sort of a an incubator concept of what would become the Promo Kitchen Party. But it was basically me, Mark, and about six different suppliers that were trying to sell to us in a bar of about eight people. That's about pretty much what it was. Am I wrong about that? It was suppliers and like service providers because they were technology people that we reached out to. That's right. And maybe the odd distributor that was an e-commerce distributor. And it was certainly lots of fun. There was no shade thrown at anyone who was at the event. But I think that everyone who was coming to the event had a different agenda. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And you know when you walk away and you're like, (laughs) what just happened? Were we being sold to or were we just trying to create new friends? Or like those two guys seemed to be like they were enemies and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and without knowing it, we had, I think, created a very awkward little Petri dish. But you and I were so out to lunch that we were just doing this out of the goodness of our own hearts that <laughs> it, it, yeah. it turned out to be so funny in the end. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we did sort of look at each other and go, what was that? I think you and I were the only ones that were sort of there for that one mission. I don't think anyone else who had been invited to that original party has even come to a Promo Kitchen event since. Yeah, I think uh, it was so. only you and me, Bobby. And, and this was even before Promo Kitchen. So I love it. <laughs> that was jokers. Yeah. Oh, so that wasn't really a Promo Kitchen event. That was just Mark and Bobby and a few people trying to figure it out? It was pre-Promo Kitchen. It was literally Bobby, you and I had struck up this friendship. There's a story that Bobby tells that is actually all lies around how we had first met around doing some kind of collaborative education together. And Bobby claims that I had, I don't know, Bobby, why don't you you just tell the story about that? Well, I will say back to that event. It was sort of like the beginning concept of what would eventually become the PK party, because I think these things were beginning to happen. Like I said, the technology tools were there to get the word out about things. I mean, we take it for granted today that all those tools are available. But back then, these were new tools. Like I said, we were, you know, punk teenagers with new equipment trying to decide what we wanted to break and build. And that was one of the things, you know. So how did you formally figure out these original founding? Was it a group of six or eight? Or what was that process like where you were like, I don't know, that guy's, yeah, they, they, you know, was it a time commitment? Was it a, they met the curiosity factor of Mark Graham? How did this happen? I don't even remember. The roles in the beginning, who decided, okay, we are the founders. This is a 501c3. Mm. Or did that just evolve out of, out of these crazy mixers at these bars with these awkward folks? (laughs) but i love bobby's answer i have no recollection i have no idea (laughs) i truly don't remember it is honestly just part of his mystique i think bobby at the time was such a rock star he had so many demands on his time never been true it's not true now that he basically had the little people sorted all the little details and he's like whatever if i can help I'll, I'll help, but I don't want to have anything to do with any details. Hey, you know me. It was more like me going, no, what do I have to do? Okay. So if you guys don't want to cover that, that's fine. It sounds like maybe I've uncovered something that's a little uncomfortable, but. I think we can sum it up by saying we were that first year or so. Everybody was just trying to figure it out. 
I think we didn't have real clear lines. We sort of eventually drew those, Mark. I think we eventually ended up with an executive team. Yeah. It was you and John and Danny and maybe me on that executive team. And then we were beginning to formulate some things there. Yeah. I have a little bit more recollection, Jay. So I'll step in where Bobby is sort of miffing right now. Right. There was an initial core group of people that were involved in guiding the executive side of this. A big credit to John Irvin, who was really involved in those early days, mm-hmm. Danny Rosen, and with all of his board experience and yeah. his nonprofit experience was a big factor. Roger Burnett as well certainly lent a hand. I know Dana Zezer was involved, and I'm certainly forgetting some initial folks, but right out of the gate, there was this idealism mixed with a real get after it kind of attitude. And I think that we all recognized that if this was going to actually happen, that we needed to create some kind of structure right. to allow this to actually run as an organization. But at the same time, it had to still have that kind of independent spirit, that non-commercial spirit, and it needed to have a really strong kind of philosophy. And to Bobby's credit here, I don't give him a lot of credit, but I will in this case, <laughs> Bobby was kind of like the Yoda right? Like he was like yeah. writing these blog posts around like the kind of editorial content that we wanted. Yeah. We didn't want to have sales pitches. We wanted to have people who really cared about this. And Bobby was a big architect of this. And I think that that philosophy really carries to this day is like PK is kind of this mix of people who are very idealistic, but are also they're go-getters. They roll up their sleeves. They know how to get the proverbial shit done. Right. And I think that that's what has sustained the organization, certainly from when John Irvin was president to the time when I was president to the time when Robert Fiveash then was president. And now where we see Johanna Gottlieb and Kate Plummer leading the organization right now, that right. every one of us, and I would say certainly everyone else that's a PK chef, has got this kind of idealism mixed with this go getter let's get stuff done attitude. And I think that that's what's sustained the organization throughout all these years. Yeah, a couple of points there. That's really great, Mark. I love the fact that you kind of just shared that lineage, that almost like a genealogy. That was super cool. And to your point, there will be others that we maybe have not yet mentioned that will be mentioned in future episodes. I really want to make this a series and go back and capture some of that history because of what you just said. And to your point, Bobby, What you don't know is that Charity has shared with me thousands of documents. And from the beginning, I can see some of that architecture and some of that structure that I know who was writing that. I know your writing style and I can see the hand of Bobby as you're typing, you know, putting this together, this beginning of a foundation through things like blogs, through things like the structure and what led into more podcasts. But it's so cool to be able to see that from the beginning and some of those, if you want to call them, you know, foundational pillars that the two of you and the others, those founding misfits kind of came together, captured, and then put that into place. And that is why it's so important to me to see some of those original plans and capture some of your original feelings so that we can share that move forward and say to new chefs and new volunteers, Hey, it's okay to be wildly nervous and super insecure at the time because guess what <laughs> the rest of us are yeah yeah you should have seen us then <laughs> you think yeah. you think we have it all together now 
but man, you should have seen us in 2011, 2012. Well, one thing I've noticed and what I really appreciate is Mark going through all the names that he mentioned. And there's, like you said, more to come. And when I look at the chef lineup now, it's astounding, honestly, but there are traits that everyone shares. And this seems to be this personal passion, this relentless curiosity, but also a little bit of a voice of dissent of, I want to do things differently. And I think that's what I see as sort of some common characteristics within those who invest themselves in Promo Kitchen. What I mean by that distinction is you can volunteer to do things at Promo Kitchen, or you can invest yourself in your talent, your resources, and your energy, and your passion, and your curious mind, and your voice of dissent. And I think that's a big distinction that we saw back then, and that I definitely see now with folks, especially in the leadership side, and what's happening with the Promo Kitchen chefs and the sous chefs. So I think it's a big point. You know, you look at, in the world of books, you know, you've got bookstores all over the world, independent boutique bookstores, but then you've got folks like City Lights in San Francisco or Busboys and Poets in Washington, D.C. The difference between those is they allow this forum of dissent. They are known not simply as a place where ideas gather, but a place where voices can be freely expressed and freely heard. And at the risk of sounding melodramatic, I think that's what sort of P.K., aspired and still aspires to be. Because when you look at the history and then you look at where we're at now in the current climate, there is still a great work to be done for us in our industry. And there's still a great opportunity for not just that strange and bizarre curiosity, but also this voice of dissent. You know, what do we need to change now? What do we need to do different? How do we need to progress going forward? And it's a huge opportunity now. Yeah. I think what's so interesting to add to what you're saying there, Bobby, is that think about what the landscape looked like in 2010, 2011 from a technology standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, social media was becoming mainstream, but certainly in our industry, social media was untouched. Uh, there were very few people that were even doing it. Yeah. And you think about this idea of how ideas were published. At the time, the way ideas were published were through the main gatekeeping platforms. And I don't right. mean gatekeeping negatively, right? but I'm just going to use that as a term. So yeah. ASI, promo marketing, and PPAI were the primary publishers of information. And we certainly have great relationships with all three of them. And incidentally, each of those organizations have been extremely supportive of Promo Kitchen. So I want to do a shout out there. Absolutely. But at the same time, if you had an idea and you wanted to publish it, It was revolutionary at that time to be able to set up a blog. It looked kind of ugly at the time, but to be able to set up a blog and to be able to promote that on social media, and it allowed us the direct relationship with the community in the industry to share an idea. And this whole concept of like addressing white elephants and having conversations about thought-provoking topics is something that we wanted to be able to do, and we wanted to be able to do that in a direct way, as opposed to submitting, say, a press release or maybe an article for consideration through these organizations. And they may or may not have accepted it based on all sorts of different criteria. We didn't want to have to go through that. We wanted to be able to do this ourselves and be able to bill ourselves as independent and allow really anyone that had a good idea, so long as it was subject to some of the editorial guidelines that Bobby had laid out, principally, we wanted to make sure that we were preventing people from selling their own products. Just not making it a commercial that that was kind of cool. And I think that some of the people listening to this right now in 2020 
in sort of the age of TikTok and Instagram Live and all this stuff would go, well, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Like these tools are totally democratized right now. Anyone with an idea can push it out to thousands upon thousands of people. In 2010, that was actually pretty revolutionary. And it makes me feel like I'm a bit ancient by saying that. <laughs> but we, we were sort of on the vanguard of something that was like super cool and exciting for the promotional products industry. And now, of course, everyone's got their own voice in the industry. And that's great. But at the time, that was really, really unusual. So maybe we can get to that in a little bit. I really love what you just said, Mark, about you guys were at the point where those original ideas and that voice of those misfits could not have been broadcasted, yes. could not have been easily shared. There would have been too much friction. There would have been too many filters that doesn't fit for us. That's going to ruffle feathers, for example. Yep. But now, as you said, with this democratization of all of these platforms and social media being what it is, it's almost like in 10 years, we've gotten to the point where now there's too much noise. Yep. Now our challenge is to cut through the clutter yeah. You know, with all of those voices how do we make this voice work? How do we make these feelings impactful? So we didn't really plan to go there, but I think, you know, maybe either of you or both of you could talk about that. Like, what are we going to do differently now? If this 10 years of history, it worked. First of all, you have to acknowledge that. You have to say, Promo Kitchen worked. This experiment worked. This band of, of misfits and pioneers and rebels and dissenting voices came together out of their curiosity and their passions, and they made a difference. So I want to make sure that that isn't missed. And I really like to talk about that. But because of the now what do we do moment, I don't know if we want to get into that or not, or if you think that's worthy of a question, but man, that really stands out. I love that contrast. Jay, I think it's a masterful question because what you're doing is you're asking rhetorically, not necessarily because Bobby and Mark know anything better than anyone else. You're asking the question rhetorically, where we're at, where we're at with this mission, where we're at with this endeavor, where we're at in the industry. What does that mean to us now? And how do we reach going forward? And Mark's going to have a better answer for this. I don't know that I have much of an answer, except that one of the beauties of Promo Kitchen was that it's painful at times leading without too much governance, but you really want that. You want to make sure you retain that edge to where it's messy enough, to where it's interesting, but in a very frustrating way, but not too governing so that you're restricted by voicing dissent or opinions. This goes from everything to board calls, to committee confabs, or whatever you want to call them, to make sure that you're not reined in by governance in terms of as the organization grows. It still needs to really keep that edge that drives every individual in the group, that passion, curiosity, and dissent. I don't have anything else to add to that. I think that's perfect. <laughs> well, let me then ask a more direct question rather than a rhetorical question. I don't want to take a page out of Mark's playbook where I shift, ask a different question, make a comment, and then ask another question. <laughs> right. That's his role. That's his game. But yeah. let's go back to when did you both first feel like, okay, this is working. We're on to something here. We're starting to gain some momentum or we're starting to make a difference. Can you identify, I don't know if that's a year later or if maybe it was the reactions to podcasts. Maybe it was when the PK Mixer was officially adopted at a PPA sponsored event. I mean, I don't know what those markers or indicators would look like, but I really am curious. When did you both first feel like, okay, this is working. We're on it. We got it. 
Yeah. Well, and again, because Bobby doesn't remember anything from this time. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to pick on you, Bobby. Why do- Mark probably felt like we were onto something when I resigned. He was probably like, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to dig into that. We actually need to dig into that because, right. you know, yeah. there may be some good stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the word is resigned, by the way. I think it was more no. like pushed out, but we can, we can address that. <laughs> right, we ahead. can address that. Yeah. But okay. In all seriousness, I think that there were probably two things, and Jay, you mentioned them in your question, is that the podcast, and Bobby, I give tons of credit to you because this was your brainchild. We we're having so much fun with it in those days, and we still are. But in those days, there were literally no rules. You know, podcasting was, totally in its infancy. Like you talk about social media and blogging in its infancy, podcasting was even more in its infancy. And we were figuring it out. And Bobby, you were having all your issues with technology and I was making fun (laughs) of you before you'd start recording, still do. Yeah. And the fact that we had like people listening to it, you know, not many, but we had a handful of people that were listening to it within the industry. And it was clear that we were having an impact on the kind of curious conversations in the industry. And that meant a lot to me. I think it meant a lot to you, Bobby, because it was really indulging this kind of curious side of our personalities. Mm-hmm. And I think that that spirit has taken the PK podcast to where it is today, where it continues to publish. We're recording it right now and continues to be successful and is certainly one of the most impactful podcasts in the promotional products industry. So I know that I'm really proud in having played one role in that. And then, of course, the other thing is just seeing how the PK Mixer has evolved over the years. And it was a little sad, Bobby, when we had our little iteration of what kind of became the PK Mixer, Yeah, that the first year when we really called it the Promo Kitchen Mixer, it was a legit event. There was so much excitement, so many great people that were there, and it felt like we were kind of creating something that had not been created in the industry up until that point. And it was all of us that were doing it. It certainly wasn't just me. And it felt like we had captured lightning in a bottle. And I love the fact that that continues to this day. And it was just incredible. Jay, I think there were two moments for me. One's going to sound so ridiculous in one sense that a lot of what happens with folks anytime they get involved in any strong mission-minded organization is that the people that get involved are likely the most transformed. And I think one of the small little funny things that happened was Danny and Robert and Mark and I had this little, I don't know what you'd call it, Mark. We went to Robert's cabin up in Virginia. And I think because of Promo Kitchen, we'd all gotten a little closer. What happens with Promo Kitchen is that relationships begin to spark and then they're forged. Mm-hmm. And they're typically forged through struggle and challenges. And I think that's probably one gift that Promo Kitchen gives everyone all the time is this coming together to try and solve problems and challenges. Right. So seeing that happen in little bitty moments all throughout the growth of the organization is exciting. And I think the other indicator for me is hearing stories of some of the mentor and mentoring relationships. Right. You know, mentoring by itself, it's going to be 80% failure and 20% success anytime in any mentoring endeavor. That's the way it's going to be. But you don't measure mentoring success by numbers. You measure it by the quality of the relationships and the people that are transformed. 
And so I think hearing those stories is one of the things that I love. I never think about it, Jay. I never think about an impact at PK. We were just trying to figure shit out. We, it wasn't that noble in that sense. Yeah. But I think now when you look back at the little micro stories that have happened where people are changed one by one, I think that's one of the most exciting things that PK has ever done. Oh, that's powerful. I love it. Thank you both for that. Those are strong words from strong men. That'll be the title of the session. <laughs> We're still figuring out as we go along, Jay. Let me just say that what you probably don't know is as a listener to those podcasts early on, as someone who was on the outside wondering, who the hell is this group and what are they doing? Why are they different? Why are they not PPAI? Why are they not ASI? What is this? Like, I asked myself that question about the group. I don't know, 10 times, right? Easy. And to see that you were making a difference and to realize the educational content that was being put out and some of the stories that I was able to hear about from mentors and or mentees, I was motivated by the results that you accomplished. So you could say that my attraction was not so much the misfits or the dissenting voice. Sure, I'm curious, sure, I'm passionate, but it was seeing some of those micro moments and those results that attracted me to want that. Like I realized <laughs> I was not the youngster, or the teenager that you guys were when you started this. I came into this kind of after having peaked a little bit and then looking for maybe a, you know, a reinvention moment, like a hit the reset button. Now, what am I going to do? Well, let's see what these guys are doing kind of a thing. So yeah, I love the fact that you guys had some early successes, that it was working and that you were making a difference because it impacted my life in a big way. So there you go. Jay, you're very kind. You've continued to be a guide, certainly for the two of us. I'm not just saying it. And I think about your role in education in the industry certainly well preceded what we were doing in Promo Kitchen. I think I've told you the story on a number of occasions how when I was literally one or two years in the industry, I was at some, I think an ASI show where you were presenting on artwork, mm -hmm. which has been a big specialty of yours. And I was literally a nobody at that time. And I remember just sitting in the back row, minding my own business, and was really impacted by your style and your approach. And I'm not just saying this, it was one of the factors and one of the influences that guided me to get into education all those years later, 2008, 2009, when I first started doing education. So wow, thank you, Jay. Thank wow. You, Jay. That was unexpected. You're welcome, Mark. And I did see you in the back row. I was the guy with the fat burger, cheeseburger, and chocolate milkshake, right? <laughs> like, who's that guy? He's making a mess. I think you were wearing a denim jacket and denim Levi's. So I knew you were from Canada. So yeah, well, that's called the Canadian tuxedo. So that's, that's, that's what we, we have here. No, but that, that was very kind of you. I appreciate that. I had no idea you were going to share that. Thank you. But your roles that you're playing, Mark, you're still day-to-day -day very much active as a board member, do we call you like chief poopa or is there some emeritus? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what my role is. And for some reason, I don't think that neither party can get rid of the other person. We're not at the end of this. I've got a couple more bits and pieces I'd like to pull out of you both to share. But Bobby, I want to direct this to you first, because you have now transitioned out of an active role. You're not currently a chef. You would be a former chef, right? Is that our official? Right. Okay. So what do you see now that you're on the outside? Do you think 
that we've hit the mark? Do you think there's a ton more work to do? Are we still in our strides? What What is your angle on this? What do you see on the outside? Are you glad to be out? Well, I think it's two things. When you're looking outside from an organization that you are involved with, you always hope that on one hand that you complete part of your mission, but the mission like this never ending. You look at what's happening right now with the economy and how people feel. Talk about a bigger mission. There's a bigger mission now at Promo Kitchen than we ever had back then in terms of investing in people's lives. In fact, what's really exciting is that when you look at the industry as a whole, you're starting to see some fascinating changes in the industry that I think are going to shape the business in the next decade like we've never seen before. So PK has this interesting opportunity at a critical crossroads. And all I can say is I hope that every chef recognizes that. You can volunteer sweat equity by cleaning up trash on the highway or working at a food bank. Those are worthwhile endeavors and they also make the world beautiful. So you can do that. Or you can take everything that's in you that has been a part of your life in terms of building a career and building a life and take all that expertise and knowledge and passion and hunger and drive and energy and recognize where we're at in the world today and invest that. So I probably lost the question, Jay, there, but looking outside in, yeah, of course, Promo Kitchen has done some amazing things. And honestly, like I said, the chefs that are there now are encouraging to me. You know, any of those chefs can reach out to me or send me a text and I'm just lit up by being able to talk with Johanna, you know, or Kate or anyone that's involved in that because they're doing some cool shit. But I think you can never really settle for where you're at. And particularly in this moment in time, I actually think it should be like a PK2.0, if we haven't already used that phrase in this conversation or in the, in the organization's history, there really should be a 2.0. And I think it's happening. I think it's happening with the team that's there right now. That was Beautiful. That was perfect. I will be replaying this to all of the chefs in our next meeting. So they, <laughs> and in case you didn't notice, Bobby's watching. Yeah, no, it's easier said. I remember what it's like. You know, you're running a business, especially at this time. I will say this for the folks that are volunteering their time right now. It's also never been harder. So you never had a bigger opportunity ahead of you for change, but it's also never been harder. Well, and I think you and I've had this conversation where it's like, it's this weird, weird situation. It's like, I'm supposed to know what to do. Like, what? <laughs> right. right. Why, why would you think that I have the answers and know what I'm supposed to do right now? There are very few people, and I would look at every chef and just know that the exterior is always prettier and more put together than the interior, <laughs> right? It probably is still the case. You know, you end up from a board call and you're like, hell did we accomplish there? But you are, you're making progress. And I think we're critical of ourselves. We're far more critical of ourselves than what we bring when we actually bring. And what we are bringing to each other mm-hmm is the vulnerability of the moment, right? That we can transform things because we're choosing to be vulnerable with each other and reach out to each other and craft and change each other. In that sense, that is what grows out of the mission is that we're changing the organization, we're changing a group of people, and then we're changing the industry. Mm, that was well said. That was, that was a quotable quote right there. Mark, before I ask the final question, was there anything you wanted to add to that? I wanted to add something from maybe a question or so ago. And you know, this is such a classic, you know, Bobby and Mark conversation here where it's just pinging all over the place. But <laughs> I love it. But I was reminded Bobby and I had a skew cast just the other day with Jason Lukash of Batch and Bodega, HPG Brands, Orgadio, et cetera, et cetera. And 
one of the themes in that particular conversation was this notion of being an outsider and coming to something where you don't really have any idea what the hell you're doing. There's no playbook. You don't have any real experience. And you're kind of starting from scratch and you're building something without the benefit of past experience. And maybe you're free of biases as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so where the conversation went with Jason is that we were talking about Batch and Bodega and we wanted to know what experience he had in getting into the food distribution space. Mm-hmm. And he said, listen, I didn't know anything about <laughs> right. this part of the industry. Right. And it kind of clued in me and to said, well, if Jason has seen any kind of success with Batch and Bodega, and I'm assuming that he's successful with it based on the initial launch, it's because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. <laughs> right. It kind of took this like outsider you know, newbie experience. I mean, sure, he knows how to sell to distributors. So clearly he's got some experience there. But in terms of coming with food, and I was just thinking of that. I was daydreaming a little bit when Bobby was answering this question before. Mm-hmm. And and it <laughs> reminded me of why I think Promo Kitchen in those early days, and even to a large extent today, why it remains successful is because it really is an organization that was started by a bunch of people who didn't really know what they were doing, right. weren't really, quote unquote, insiders, so to speak. Right. And we're just curious enough and sort of reckless enough to try this. And there was no downside, right? The downside was no one's going to listen to Mark and Bobby's podcast. Yeah. No one's going to read the article that you know Danny Rosen wrote. Right. No one is going to attend this stupid party in Vegas right. that you know Robert Fiveash and John Irvin and Charlie Johnson were behind, right? Like, who cares? And I think that we didn't really care. The bar for failure was fairly low, you know, <laughs> beyond maybe bruising our egos. And I think that was super special. And I know for me, getting into the industry and trying to be this guy who is getting outside of my room at the Excalibur, so to speak, and venturing into <laughs> other pockets of the industry was like, why not just try this? What's the worst that can happen? And I love that attitude because clearly it has gone super far and Promo Kitchen's impact has been large on this industry. And it really just started from a bunch of people who said, why the heck not? Yeah. <laughs> and we're a bunch of outsiders and let's run with this. And I think that's awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. yeah, no, thank God you did, all of you. It's been an amazing ride. You've made a really, really big and significant impact on a lot of people's professional lives and to what Bobby said earlier, you've been able to forge these deeper connections that are, I hope, lifelong. So well said, Mr. Graham. I love what you said. Was it better than Bobby's answer? Because I'm, I'm hoping so. <laughs> Always. It was longer, but, but there were no references to any literature. Yeah. Yeah. That by default, it makes it better. Right. That's true. And you didn't work in a bookstore story. So once you do those yeah. two things. <laughs> yeah. He did name drop a couple a couple ones. I didn't drop any author's names. I didn't quote anybody. That's true. Well, there's still time. Yeah. yeah. You got the last word, Bobby. So I do hope that Mama Day and Mom <laughs> and Poe, <laughs> as well as some obscure Japanese poet that you just literally Googled right now, just sounds smart. I hope they can make it into the final response. <laughs> I have no quotes. I asked him to not bring his book of quotes. So just yeah, for, no quotes. for those listening, those quotes. this is raw. We're going to peel back these layers and get to know the real Bobby Lee and the real Mark Graham. So let's wrap up with a question. It's been on my mind. When we talk about the impact of the community, we talk about 
the impact that your roles specifically have made on others. But I'd like to comment. We touched on this a little. It came up just naturally, which was super cool. But could you both speak a little bit to the way this has changed you or shaped you? What's the impact been on you? 10 years looking back, where are you now? And what do you think that chef role meant to you? And you're probably not prepared, but let's just go for it anyway. You know, give us a few words on that impact. I'll try to be brief. And then Bobby, I'll let you have the final word as we wrap this up. But in all seriousness, I think if we go back to what my reality in the industry was like for the first nine or 10 years, is that my perception of the industry was lukewarm at best in terms of kind of the professionalism of our industry. I know that I personally struggled with it a fair amount in terms of whether there were other people in the industry that I felt were doing interesting work. And as I say that, I think I was probably pretty full of myself and cocky at the time because I thought that what we were doing was really great and I didn't see other people that were doing it. And as they say, like I feel quite insufferable even admitting that. <laughs> and the reality is, as soon as I got involved and I dropped this attitude that I had about myself that was really informed by me being on this little island, I recognized that there were so many exciting pockets of innovation that were doing work that was way more exciting, way more avant-garde than what I was doing, that instantly put me into the role of student. And that was really transformative for me personally, and also transformative for me just in my career in the industry, was meeting all these other people that I could learn from, and to be quite honest, become a better marketing professional. And so I think that that was profound. And I think I now move forward, and if I sort of think about the last 10 years of my time in the industry, I've moved forward with a great amount of humility and recognizing that there's a lot of really, really smart people in this business that have taught me way more than I could have ever imagined. I agree hundred percent. And I think in the impact, of course, it had enormous implications and benefits for me. Like it drove me deeper into the possibility that content could play a role, not just in driving business, which I'd learned through Robin, but in actually shaping and changing lives. And that was sort of a live experiment, if you will, at the time, especially, but it was really a different experience that you could actually enter the business world and actually in a purpose-driven way, very mission-minded way, as opposed to let's just make a lot of money and call that the end game. And you know, like all new endeavors, and Mark touched on this, I think anything you get involved with introduces you to relationships that are beyond the bounds of the construct of the organization. So when you look at the real legacy, I don't think of it in terms of it being something big out there that has made this massive impact. I actually look at people like, myself and Danny and Robert and Mark and Tanya and Brad and Charlie and Charity. And I realized that as we grew closer as individuals, that's where the real mentorship took place. So we could set up all the mentoring programs and all the different things that we did in content through PK all we wanted. But what really transformed was this chef to chef experience. And in many ways, we were embodying what we wanted to accomplish on a big scale, which was mentoring and helping each other. You know, I think as long as we're all still doing that, then the impact of that is almost like a subconscious impact. That's going to impact it greater than any of the initiatives or programs that we launch is that if we're being that authentic and genuine and helping each other, then it's going to change the world. Now that was deep, Mr. Lee. Whoop. Listen, you guys have done more great things for me 
And I just want you to know, I appreciate our relationships, our friendships, and our business working relationships to a degree that words often fail me. So thank you so much for sharing your time today. The words that you shared, I know will be important, and I'm glad we captured them. This little moment in history where, you know, to what you said, Bobby, about maybe it is the perfect time for a PK 2.0 launch, right? And looking at our feelings and our hopes and our concerns for the future, we can only be more successful because of the work both of you have done. Love you, Jay. Thanks for having us on. You guys, thank you. Let's wrap that up. Mark, anything to say? Close us out? I can't top what Bobby said there. This has been a lot of fun. Really appreciate the opportunity to tell the story and love the fact that so many other people are going to be telling their stories because Bobby and I are simply just two voices of many, many people that help build this organization. So we're honored to be a part of that conversation. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.